So how are you enjoying the book of James? Hopefully you're, you're, you're reading through the book, at least kind of the sections we're in before and after Sunday mornings. Because um, it's, really, it's a really deep book. It challenges um, the way we live, uh, how we li- live our lives just in day to day. It's a deeply, deeply um, personal uh, and, and practical book. Um, so hopefully you're keeping up with us as we go through this great book. This morning we're in chapter 2. We're going to wrap it up, uh, starting in verse 14, going through to the end. So I'll pray, and then we will get right to that. Father God, thank you for gathering us here uh, this morning in this place that we can worship your name, uh, that we can read your word, your message you have sent us, and and learn uh, how you would have us live our lives and and the implications that that has for those of us, um, for for those around us. Uh, I pray you'd be this this morning, Lord, as I I seek to explain the words in this text that I am accurate, uh, that, I, that I do it to, in a way that glorifies you, and that you would open the ears uh, of, of those who are here and open the hearts uh, so that we may have hands and feet to move. That's in your name I pray. Amen. So James 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace. Be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. And shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So this is the verse. I've been talking a little bit over the last few weeks about kind of how Paul and James, sometimes they're viewed when the the things they've written are stacked up against each other, they're they're kind of viewed like they're in disagreement. Like Paul and James are fighting in the Bible. Did you see it? Because this is is the, the key passage in that battleground. Okay, and and there's there's two verses in particular. Verse 17. Okay, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That's pretty serious. And we'll we'll get to those words this morning. We're going to start where we always start. We're going to start at the beginning. 
Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? James starts with a rhetorical question. If you have faith, but you have no works, we'll get into those words in a moment. If you have faith and not works, then what good is your faith? You can also translate that, what use is your faith? Some people read Paul and think Paul's writing is challenging and difficult. I think James is far more challenging and difficult to us. James is asking this rhetorical question, so the the answer is within the question. Faith without works, James makes the case here, is useless. If your faith has no accompanying works, has no works to go along with it, then your faith has no use to you. It has no value. It's no good. It can't save. So at the surface, it does look like this verse and James's train of thought is at odds with Paul. Let me take you to a couple of different texts. Flip over to um, Romans chapter 3, really quickly, um, starting in verse 27. I'll let you get there if you're flipping. Romans three twenty-seven. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Flip over to Romans 5, a couple of pages, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is one of the key verses that tripped Martin Luther up and started the Protestant Reformation. One more. Paul's a bit more of a prolific writer, so there's more of Paul's writings to glean from than James. But last one. Flip over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians is more of a specific book. Um, Paul's talking here to the church in Galatia uh, in particular about circumcision. Um, But starting in verse 2, he says this, Galatians 5, 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, We ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So it does seem, doesn't it, like Paul and James are having a disagreement across the pages of Scripture. Faith alone works. On its surface, it does kind of seem like that. What if I told you they're actually not? What if I told you they they actually agree completely? I guess you might say that I have to prove it, so let's, let's do that. Um, back into James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, right there. If someone says, if they claim to have faith. That's probably the single most important word in that verse, in that sentence. Here's why. Everyone, anyone, can claim to have faith. But just because you've made the claim doesn't make it true. Okay? It's, it's tax season. So I can, I can claim to have not had any income this year. Uh, that doesn't make it true. And CRA would have some very serious questions for me if that were the case. 
I can claim to have made seven figures this year. Um, But that doesn't make it true either, and I would actually be curious to know why anyone would claim that if it weren't true. I can claim to you this morning that I haven't had any coffee today. It doesn't make it true. In fact, I have had coffee. It's kind of a Sunday morning ritual. I go through my sermon and I drink coffee. That's what I do on Sunday mornings. Just because you say something doesn't make it true. Just because you claim something doesn't make it true. Those of us with toddlers are very, very aware of that. Right? Um, Chloe, for example, claims to have a pet lizard. His name is Lizard. Um, I have to kiss him goodnight every night before I leave her room. He's imaginary. Doesn't really, doesn't really have a lizard. So this is what James is talking about. Someone claims to have faith, but doesn't have the accompanying works, the, the, the good things to go with it. Doesn't, you know, doesn't work for the kingdom. So James asked this question, can that faith save him? It's the second most important word in that verse, that. Can that kind of faith save him? Can that faith save him? That kind of empty, just say the words, lazy faith. Can that kind of faith save kind of faith that you just you claim but you don't actually have it's a rhetorical question so the answer is again no james says that kind of faith that kind of faith cannot save you here's why verse 15 if a brother or sister is poorly clothed lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things um, needed for the body then what good is that So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith, James says, by itself, without accompanying works, is dead, empty, useless, will not save. And this is where a lot of people start to read James a bit funny. This is the place where people read James and think he's advocating works as a means of salvation, when in fact, that's the opposite of what he's doing. What he says here is that faith without works is dead faith. Faith without works is a faith that won't save you. It's, it's false faith, if you will. What he doesn't say is that works give you faith. See the distinction? James is not saying that you will gain faith because of your works. He's saying that you will demonstrate the faith you already have by your works. That's the difference. It's the difference between doing something in order to be saved and doing something because you're already saved. See the, see the difference there? He goes into greater detail, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Then show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now that's a confusing sentence in English. So I'll, let me break it down. I'll, I'll go backwards. I'll start with the, the last part first. I will show you my faith by my works. James is saying you will see his faith. You'll see James's faith. You'll see my faith. You will see what I believe, what I understand. You'll know what I believe when you observe what I do. When you observe what James does. Right? See my faith by my works. You will see who I am, what I believe, when you see what I do and how I live. 
Contrast that with the first part of the sentence. Show me your faith apart from your works. So I'm showing you my faith by what I do. Showing you my faith by how I live my life. I'm showing you my faith by what I do. And now James asks you now, or the reader, show me your faith without showing me those things. Show me your faith without showing me how you live your life. What you believe. Don't do it by showing me your life. Just tell me what you believe. It, 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 it can't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done unless you write, um, unless you write one of these. Okay? Um, this, is a, this is a book. This is a very large book. Um, that's how big it is. And that's the text on the inside. It's, it's a huge, huge book. I think it's, it's well over, yeah, it's well over 1,200, 1,300 pages. The title of this book is also the subject. It's called Systematic Theology. Okay? Um, this is an introduction to Christian doctrine. This is the intro, okay? This is what happens when you have 2,000 years of history behind the movement you're a part of. You, you, you get a book this size, and it's only the introduction. And this is the introduction to one specific stream of Christian theology. It's not all of them. All right? I've got seven more books like this in my office. And there's, there's plenty, plenty more where that comes from. You can write down what you believe in a book, like that. But I, even if you do, I don't know if you actually believe it or not. I don't know if you actually have faith in it. There's a difference between belief and faith. That's the point James is making here. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I believe in God. I do. I, I better. I'm a, I'm a pastor. But I, I, I believe he exists. I believe he created the universe from scratch, from nothing. Ex nihilo is the Latin. If you, if you, do you know who else has that same belief? That God created the universe from nothing? And furthermore, do you know who not only has that belief, like I do, but witnessed him doing it? Maybe not the entirety of it, but that which we call creation at least. Do you know who has that same belief? The devil. Demons. They, they were there. Besides, I mean, Job, the, the book of Job tells us that even after the fall, the devil spoke with God, walked into the throne room and conversed with God the Father. So you want to know who has a better, stronger belief in God? The devil does. He's met him, stood in his presence, seen his face. I haven't done that. Not yet. So what's the difference between you and, as James says, the demons who shudder when they think of God? What's the, what's the difference? They shudder while we rejoice. That's the difference between belief and faith. They believe God exists. In fact, they have factual, first-person experience, and we believe that he exists and have faith in him. They shudder and we rejoice. They know all the right things. I'll, I'll bet you that the, the, the devil can do better at a theology test than any one of us in this room can. But he's not saved. He has no faith. 
So what good does his knowledge do if it has no faith? That's what James is saying. Verse 20. I love how James doesn't pull any punches. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that, apart, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active along with works. And faith was completed by his works. Now, the work there, that was Abraham putting his own son on an altar, tying him down, getting ready to sacrifice him, right? Had the, had the big knife in his hand. So, so where does the faith part come in? The faith was that somehow God had a plan to fulfill his promises to Abraham. Now, Abraham was an old man, like really old. I think he was into the triple digits at, at this point in his life. And God had promised him more descendants than there were grains of sand on the beaches of the world. And then God turns around and tells him, now sacrifice your only son to me. Abraham had every reason to doubt God's faithfulness in that moment, but he didn't. He had faith that God will be faithful to his promises to him. And so he's about to go through with it, has the big knife in his hand. When the Lord stops him, that's faith. Being willing to do something that you don't understand because you believe that God has asked you to do it and believing that God's interests outweigh your own and are better than your own and that he will be faithful to his promises. That's faith. That's what God asks of us. Verse 25, in the same way also was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Again, the action, what Rahab did was the work, right? But what was the faith that she had? She had faith that when Israel came into the promised land and did what they were going to do, that is, take it over, that they were going to remain true to their word, the word of the spies, and that they would ensure their promise to her and spare her life and those in her home because she had saved them when they were in the land spying. That's the faith she acted on because that's the faith she had and that's what faith is. So then James wraps up in verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So verse 26 and verse 17 kind of go together. I want to go back there for a minute and park because it's, it's the, the transitional verse for this whole section, verse 17 is. It's the central idea of James's point, this idea that, you know, show me your faith apart from your work. Show me what your faith is without showing me your work and I'll show you what I believe based on what I do. Right? This idea that faith and works are somehow fundamentally intertwined and completely inseparable. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the truth. That's true, right? You cannot stand in the presence of God Almighty with confidence without having put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's 100% true. Do you know what else is true? Nobody who's not a Christian cares about that. Nobody who's not a Christian gives a rip that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Because if they did, they'd be Christians. Many of us in this room, I think all of us in this room, we're, we are Christians. We are believers. 
We believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. We believe that no one comes to the Father except through him. And and we believe that our goal, our mission that Jesus gave us is to tell that good news, gospel, to other people. to, To preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news of his salvation for us. How do you do that without acting? How do you do that without... Well, how do you do that without doing something? James says it's, it's impossible. Show me your faith without showing me your actions. Prove to me your faith without showing me any of your actions. It can't be done. They're inextricable. You can say all the right words. You can write them down in the book. You can even believe all the right things like the devil does. But you can't, if, you, if you can't back them up with action, with how you actually live your life, then all of it counts for nothing. Because by not showing action, by not showing action that is congruent with faith that you claim to have in Christ, you know what you're really doing? By not showing action, you're showing action. You're showing action that's not congruent with faith, but congruent with the world. It's just the way it is. If I'm stepping on your toes, I apologize. I'm just reading what the Bible says. That's what James is saying when he, when he says that your faith is dead without works. That's what he means. He says, if, if your works, if, if your life, if your works don't proclaim the gospel, if your works don't serve to advance the kingdom, I mean, and at least that's the goal, because you're not going to succeed at everything. But if that's not how you act, you don't act in a way that, that aims to expand God's kingdom. And whatever faith you do have isn't the faith that's, that's going to save you then. And in verse 20, James just takes the gloves off and just flat out calls you a foolish person. Because what you're doing is you're just lying to yourself. Thankfully, there's, there's a way out. And James hasn't left us hanging without a way out. And, and thankfully, it's, it's not difficult at all. In fact, James has already told you what it is earlier in the book. Step one, rejoice in suffering. James 1. Step two, read the word, understand it. Do what it says. James 1 again. Step 3. Ask for wisdom. James 1. Step 4. See everyone as equal. James 2. And finally, step number 5. Go and do something. Go do something. Let your faith be seen by your works. Figure out what you're good at and go do it for the gospel. Do it for the Lord. If you're a writer, go write for God's glory. If you're a teacher, teach for God's glory. If you're a mechanic, be a mechanic for the glory of God. Everything you do, to be honest, everything you do, do it for the gospel. Do it in a way that proclaims the reality of who Christ is and what, is, what he's done for us. By everything you do, show that you have a love for people, that you want to see people saved by the same gospel, the same good news that saved you. Be different. Look different. Look different than the world around you. Look different than the people around you. 
looks so different that people have no choice but to ask you, hey, um, how come you're so different? What, what makes you so different? Why, why do you have joy when you should be in pain? Why do you rejoice when you're suffering? Why do you seem to make right decisions so often? Almost as though you have some kind of source of supernatural wisdom. And even when you don't do, even, even when you make wrong decisions, why is it that you deal with that better than, 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 than I do? Why do you spend so much time with your kids? Why do you spend so much effort on your marriage with your wife? Why, why is your marriage so good? Why is that so important to you? Why are you different? Now, the answer for all of those questions ought to be the same. And we've said it here before. Because Jesus, what? Because Jesus lives. Because Jesus took my sin, saved me from a face worse than simple death, took my sin, paid for it with his life on the cross, then was raised from the dead because he lives. Because he lives in me. And because one day I will live with him. Don't you want that too? Don't you, don't you want that too? That's how you answer the question. That's how you answer the question. That's how people see the gospel in your life. And then when they see it and they ask you about it, that's how you answer it. And that's how the kingdom grows. Let's pray.